So welcome everybody to our third week of Joy in All Circumstances, our study of the book of Philippians. And this evening we're going to be talking in our third part about Paul speaking very specifically to people about what he wants them to focus upon as opposed to the things that they're choosing to get tangled up in and focus upon. To get us started tonight, I thought I would get us started with a story about a movie I saw a few years ago, actually about a decade ago, which just tells you how old I am. It's a movie that George Clooney appeared in called Up in the Air. And it was a movie in which he played a man named Ryan Bingham, who worked for a human resources consultancy firm that specialized in, of all things, termination assistance, helping companies lay people off. And he would travel around the country, flying from place to place to help companies with the difficult task of laying off their employees to spare them the messiness of that. And his signature line is, as he's sitting there with someone that he's about to tell that they no longer have a job, anyone who's sitting where you are is someone who could go on to build an empire or change the world, which is such unusual advice to be giving someone as you're about to tell them that they're out of work. But he had mastered this sort of ability to be valuable to companies for this purpose, while also mastering the art of business perks when flying. And so he was the ultimate first class upgraded traveler. And his goal, he aspired to fill this time when he's out here going around laying people off. His goal was to reach the 10 million frequent flyer miles point with American Airlines. And despite mastering many things in his life, there was one thing that he had not mastered. And that was his ability to have significant relationships. Well, after a series of life events, he begins to question if maybe he's missed the point. And he's on a flight home and he's pondering whether maybe I've really missed the point of all of this. When the crew announces that they have a very special person flying with them this evening, the man who has just crossed the 10 million mile mark as a frequent flyer, an American Airlines chief pilot is on board to personally congratulate Ryan for reaching this milestone, this pinnacle of air travel. And notes that he's the youngest person to achieve this milestone. They pour champagne and people clap, but you know, it feels hollow. There he is up in the air with no one meaningful to celebrate with and no one waiting for him on the ground either. And he has this transformational moment about what really matters. That being a high flyer doesn't add up after all. And once he gets on the ground, he gives all of those miles to a young family member who's just gotten married but couldn't afford to take time for a trip so they can have the destination honeymoon of their dreams. As the movie ends, you see him standing in the airport again, looking up at the destinations board and letting go of his baggage, just standing there. And where he'll head next isn't exactly certain. Well, in Philippians, Paul is touting his own high flyer status as a way to go on to say, that those things that he thought were so important no longer have any value to him 
in comparison to the relationship that he's been given through the death and resurrection of Christ. Paul writes, if anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet, whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ as my Lord. And for his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, regard them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death. If somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize, the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. In this passage, Paul acknowledges something he has already talked about with the Philippians, but decides that they, and I guess we, need to hear it again, because we all need a refresher. The regulations of the law, in the case of the Philippians and their community, the case of the laws of the Torah, are not what save. Rather, it's faith in Christ, who died and is raised, that saves. Well, why is he bringing this up? Just before these verses that we hear today in chapter 3, Paul has been speaking to the church at Philippi, where indeed there is some dissension about what and who is right. There are those who are doing things for show. There are those who are insisting that others must follow this rigorous structure as well. And I think that can be just as much of a challenge for us today in any number of ways. Paul speaking to the Philippians is talking to them about their concern. These were folks who were recently a part of the Jewish temple, and now they have decided to follow Christ. Must they first become, must others who are not Jewish first become Jews in order to become Christians? And Paul is addressing this by saying, no, no, it's not about our works that are the source of salvation and our relationship with God. And this has been going on, this dissension, so much that Paul has said earlier in Philippians, do all things without murmuring and arguing. Shine like bright stars in a dark world. And now, just before our verses today, he has said, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of those who mutilate the flesh. And he's getting at this issue about must you become first a Jew in order to be a Christian? He's getting at the issue of circumcision. Calling people a name or calling them evil even is one thing, but this is a deeper understanding of what must happen in order for someone to even be considered able to be in the room. 
These people were called the Judaizers. Although we don't consider this to be an issue in our day, I'm sure we could find other issues where Paul would look at us and say the same thing he says to the Philippians. Don't get tangled up in this. We can get caught up in goals that should not be the point of our striving. In this case, worshiping rituals as opposed to worshiping God. And that's when Paul has chosen to include his own autobiography of mastering such rituals and such laws. And what he's essentially saying here is, look, I was not a marginal Jew. I'm not someone who was looking for a reason to not follow our laws and our practices and our traditions, our beliefs. In fact, quite the opposite. I was zealous. I found value in excelling. But he takes what would have been a claim of honor and stands it on its head. All of those accolades, all of those accomplishments, I now see as rubbish. The Greek noun that's gently translated as rubbish actually means more politely, but to the point, poop, dung, dog dirt on the sidewalk, in the balance sheet of life. For all the things I thought added up, I realized that I was operating at a loss and I was giving value to things that are nothing compared to Christ. The things I thought were valuable, I've come to find, are not. Everything pales in comparison because of Jesus Christ. Knowing Christ is more than anything and any other concept, any other value in the world. And that's why I shared the plot of the movie Up in the Air. Where Ryan Bingham is so focused on what he thinks is the pinnacle of mastering the world, so to speak, as he sees it. Only to have that stood on its head. To realize that that's not where it is supposed to be at all. Now, for Paul, knowing Christ is something more than just book learning or memorizing a Bible passage or figuring out all of the right practices, or even getting a perfect attendance pin in Sunday school. Paul's writing about a deep personal knowledge and relationship, a deep knowing, both being known by God and in some way beginning to grasp the mystery of God in Christ and to be in communion with God. This relationship is the source of trust, and Paul can be authentic here when he makes this claim. Because remember, he's not writing this from a place of comfort. He's writing this from prison, where very little probably seems certain. Even now, he's already told us that Christ is bringing transformation, even from the walls of that prison. Over and over, Paul emphasizes God's action. His making Christ his own follows what Christ has already done to make Paul his own. And Paul calls us to wonder what Christ will do in and through those who set themselves and their baggage aside to be filled with the love of Christ and the Holy Spirit at work. And what's interesting is that Paul's very training in the law is what allows him to perceive this new interpretation. It's a change of perspective and orientation, but just one more symbol 
of that transformative power of Christ at work in each of us. Within our own Christian history, another figure who who is symbolic of this is St. Francis of Assisi, who we commemorate this Sunday as we hold our drive-up pet blessing in the parking lot at 1 p.m. But St. Francis was born in Italy in 1181. He was renowned for drinking and partying in his youth. His father was a wealthy merchant, his mother a beautiful French woman. He was not in want in any way during his youth. He was spoiled, in fact, indulged himself with fine food and wine and wild celebrations. And by 14, he had left school and become a rebellious teenager who broke the laws and the curfews and partied and carried on while also being known for his charm. Well, in these privileged surroundings, he learned the skills of archery and wrestling and horsemanship. He was expected to follow in his father's footsteps in the family textile business, but he was bored by that prospect. He instead was dreaming of his future as a knight. If Francis had any ambition, it was to be a war hero like that. It wouldn't be long before he had the opportunity to be in battle. But it was in battle that he was captured and imprisoned and held for ransom. He spent nearly a year in prison awaiting his father's payment. And while there, is said to have begun receiving visions from God. After his release from prison, as legend has it, he was riding on a horse in the local countryside when he encounters a leper. Now, before the war, Francis would have run as far as he could from this person, but on this occasion, and in his current situation, and with God at work in his life, his behavior was very different. He viewed the leper as Jesus in disguise and jumps off the horse, embraces the leper, and kisses him, later describing the experience of it as feeling a sense of sweetness, a sense of indescribable freedom. His earlier lifestyle had now officially lost all of its appeal. In his early 20s at this point, he began turning his focus deeper toward God spending ever-increasing amounts of time in a remote mountain hideaway and in old, quiet churches around Assisi, praying, looking for answers, and helping to care for lepers. It was while he was praying in a church in San Damiano that he reportedly heard a voice of Christ telling him to help rebuild the Christian church and to live a life of extreme poverty. In order to raise money to rebuild the church as God commanded, He took a bolt of valuable cloth from his father's shop along with his horse and sold them so that he would have the money. But his father learned of this, became furious about his son's actions, and dragged Francis before the local bishop who told Francis to return his father's money. Francis' reaction was extraordinary. He said to have stripped off his clothes, returned the money, and declared that God was now the only father he recognized. There's no indication that Francis and his father ever spoke again. The bishop gave Francis a rough tunic and dressed him in these new humble clothes, and Francis left, going on to live according to the gospel, preaching around Assisi, and soon joined by 12 loyal followers. His embrace of Christ-like poverty was a radical notion at the time. I suspect it would be today as well. The Christian church 
was tremendously rich, much like many of the people who were heading it. And this concerned Francis. He was concerned that the core values of the faith were being eroded. And so he set out on his mission to recapture Christ's original values and mindset. And with his charisma, he drew thousands to follow him in his way of life. He became known as the Franciscans. Like the Apostle Paul, Francis was continually pushing himself in the quest to know Christ. He was soon preaching in up to five villages a day, teaching a new kind of personal, relational Christian faith that everyday people could understand. He went so far as to preach to animals, they say, which is why he both earned the nickname God's Fool and why we commemorate him by blessing pets in our time. His message spread far and wide about the gospel. But I'm sure that it wasn't always without moments of doubt and wondering if he really could do and be who he felt God was calling him to be and to do what God was calling him to do. Rest assured that both for Francis and for Paul, they surely had those moments when they weren't sure they could be faithful. What they never doubted was that God would be faithful. We can share in this same transformation in the here and now because we share in the resurrection. We share in being in Christ, which means being the body of Christ, expressing Christ's presence in the world. Yes, we are a work in progress, and we are not there yet. While Paul's letter to the Philippians speaks eloquently of regarding loss as nothing compared to knowing Christ, if we're being honest, we know that when we're experiencing losses or fear of losses, maybe even as we are in this time, we don't come to being stoic or just altruistic naturally or easily. We need practice on a daily basis to allow God to reframe our fears and our griefs as openings both for divine mercy and for being a part of God's work in the world. Scriptures offer us the teaching, but it takes daily focused attention to how God is speaking to make it real in our lives. And I know that's a devotional habit that can be hard for many of us to constantly embrace we feel pulled in so many directions. But I encourage you to embrace the resources of our tradition, to embrace the Word of God as a way of helping to sustain you as together we try to get through hard times. This task of reframing and changing takes dedicated work. God's not demanding perfection of us. The power of Christ's resurrection can, however, motivate us to press on toward the ultimate goal of eternal life with Christ. And in the meantime, to know that in this life, when it feels more like a marathon than a sprint, Paul and all of the saints in the cloud of witnesses are cheering us on just as much as we are here to cheer each other on in all circumstances so that we don't lose hope or lose perspective. As Paul encourages us, we have come this far. And when we're tempted to be stuck or just turn away or be discouraged, maybe by those around us who are trying to tell us that we don't have it right, what we can offer one another is to be grounded in the word of God, in a word of encouragement, 
and to remember that that is always centered in the message of Jesus Christ, grounded in our Lord's work and love for us, we journey on together. And so in closing, I want to share the words from a poet, Padraig Atoma, prayer from the Corimila community, from a book that was written in 2017. Lord, help us to embrace possibility, to respond graciously to disappointment, and to hold tenderly those we encounter. May we support, may we listen, may we change, and all for your sake, in Jesus' name, amen. Friends, next week will be our last week with Philippians. In the meantime, I encourage you to come to drive-in worship at 8.30 in the morning in the parking lot at Grace, or tune in via WRSC, at 10.30 a.m. FM or on your smart device. You can also watch pre-recorded Zoom worship, which will be made available on our website and on our Facebook page by seven o'clock in the morning. And in addition, this Sunday at 1 p.m., we will be having a drive up pet blessing. What you'll wanna do is come in off of the Garner Street entrance and drive around the long way of the parking lot and back around to the main entrance there by the portico where Pastor Shul and I will be there to offer Drive up window pet blessings. We'll have St. Francis medals and some prayer cards. Maybe we'll even be able to take your picture as one of the pets of grace. And we want to be able to celebrate safely, but well, the gift that our companions in creation are for us. If you need to bring a picture instead of your pet, that is fine as well. And we would even encourage that maybe you can bring a stuffed animal if that's, that's your uh, pleasure. But we're going to be gathering from one to two o'clock and we hope to see you there. And we look forward to being able to celebrate God's creation together as a sign of God's love for all of us and for the world. And until we see each other again, be well, friends. Take care.